This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled His Workmanship. Uh, feel free to check out our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. You can find their archived Shabbat messages as well as blog posts that my dad writes each week. You can subscribe to those in the little email subscribe box. Um, and uh, you can also check out our social media links there, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, feel free to subscribe to our uh, podcast, Shabbat Messages, on your favorite podcast platform provider, and wherever you may get those, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. And uh, our theme music that you hear is by my buddy Evan Shaw. Feel free to check him out on uh, Instagram, at Evan Shaw Music, and his website, evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. <laughs> Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does nigh on me away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and zero. Oh, oh. All right, good to see you. Glad you're here. Hate sickness, but it's that time of year, so it happens. But glad you're here. All right, let's turn to Ephesians this morning. We're going to read a fair amount of scripture this morning, and then I want to share at least one main thought, and depending on how long I'm going, might do a couple other verses in this. But I, I want to read this chunk of passage because I, I think it all goes together. And interestingly, at least according to how I'm seeing it, Paul starts it out with a prayer, gives the balance in the middle, and then he ends it with a prayer. So it's like it's wrapped in this prayer. It's a prayer at the beginning, what he wants to say, and a prayer at the end. At least that's how I'm, I'm seeing it myself. I'm entitling this, We Are His Workmanship, because I want to kind of zero in on that, and then maybe a few other things. It's, it's been so much fun just immersing myself lately in, in the readings of Paul, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians. Now I've been months and months and months just reading and rereading and reading and rereading these books just because it's been a blessing. And, you know, as most of us know, coming into this Torah observant thing that we're in, you start to see stuff that's always been there, but you just didn't know it was there because you come at scripture with a pre-programmed, we all had a biased mindset. I mean, you know, I in, was in ministry 25 years, my church for 18 years. You just get in this thing of this is how you see scripture. And you don't know that right there in front of you is this other stuff. And because you're not programmed to think that way. So but then, you know, as God's done for all of us here, you know, he started... Not because we're any better than anybody else. I don't know why us. It's like, you know, why did we get saved and a lot of other people don't? I don't understand it, but I thank God for it. But, you know, we come to that point where all of a sudden God just, it goes bing, 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 bing. And these light bulbs go off and it's like, wow. And, and so um, reading Paul's just been so cool. Uh, and so many of the verses that we get beat up with uh, that are ant the anti-Torah verses, uh, 
in pretty much everything else that we observe. You know, Paul has just been, his words have been taken, it's just been flipped around, stretched, thrown back together, and it's like, I don't even know if Paul would recognize himself the way he's taught in our Christian churches, and I, I was, you know, guilty if that's the right word. One of the things that I've noticed, and it just really hit me, I don't know, probably it dumped on me this morning as I was going over all this and then continuing on in Ephesians. I think I'm in my third time now, just slowly working my way through this. It seems like Paul was, what would be the word? Heartbroken, saddened, um, over the division that was amongst the congregations that he was trying to reach. And, you know, I've said, here it is 2,000 years later, and we're still treading the same territory. You know, I know we're not all going to agree on everything, but I think what, and, and I'm speaking for Paul here, so, you know, the Apostle Paul, so, you know, take that for what it is, but I think what, what grieved Paul's heart was in the local assemblies, of course, he, he was trying to have all the assemblies unite under this one umbrella of doctrine. And they did. But how that was fleshed out in these individual congregations was so diverse. You know, so much so where Paul has to say to the Galatians, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, you would have ripped your eyeballs out for me. And somehow now I'm your enemy. How does this happen? And I think he was really heartbroken, as am I, quite frankly, over the fact that in our local congregations, you know, we're not everybody's flavor. I get that. And I say this nicely, go away. Find a congregation that is your flavor. We're not tearing that down. We're not against that. I understand that. You know, our desire is and we're not doing the best at it, but we're leaving it in God's hand. We're, we're looking to build Gideon's 300. We, we believe we're entering into time where we're, we're going to be engaged in battle and warfare. And we're all just a bunch of wimps. Excuse me. And we're wimps in, in not just who and what we are to stand for the things of Christ, but we're wimps in our biblical knowledge. I mean, we're wimps in the fact that, you know, everything I said every which way come Sunday. You know, we still don't read our Bibles. We still don't know our Bibles. We're still looking to this pastor, this, uh, this worship guy, this, this, this teacher. You know, my, you know, we're in the internet scouring somebody and somewhere, and we, we regurgitate what we've been taught, but we don't know what we believe. And I think that's very important. There's, there's just no excuse for this. So I think Paul, when he writes these people, he's more or less saying, didn't I teach you any better than this? You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of this one, I'm of that one. And then the Galatians, you're, you're letting these, these, these Judaizers come in and steal you away from the truth. You've been bewitched. How did this happen? I mean, you can just see and feel it. And, and I'm convinced, folks, we ourselves, not preaching to the Christians or anybody else, we have to immerse ourselves in all of the Bible, obviously, 
but especially Paul's writings, because that's the battleground we face with our Christian friends and loved ones, Christianity in general, because Paul is what's always used. And, and, and we have to get so familiar with Paul that we start to think like Paul. My and I'm not even getting into where I want to go, because I didn't even know I was going to say all this, but you know, it's like I've said before, Rush Limbaugh, not that I'm a fan of him, but he, he'll, he'll, he'll say something and calls come flooding in. But he said it because he knew he would get a rise from those that don't understand what he's saying and where he's coming from. And he almost gets a kick out of it. Whereas the regular people that listen, they, we, I sit there sometimes, I smile and I say, man, he's going to get smacked for that one. But I know exactly where he's coming from. We personally, you and I, have to become very, very familiar as best we can with the help of the Holy Spirit to, to, to feel, to, to gain the heartbeat of Paul and where he's coming from and the language he uses. I've said before, it's like Paul is so sick and tired of trying to pablum feed everybody. When he writes to these people, he just writes it. And it's more or less like Jesus with the parables. If you don't want to hear, you're going to have plugged ears and eyes that can't see. The rest that want, they're going to have unplugged ears and eyes that can see. And so it's purposely veiled for those who really want it. He's not messing around anymore. That's what I, I say. The writings of Paul, is like he's done. He's, he's not messing around anymore. All right, now, with all that said, which has nothing to do with anything, let's turn, if you're not there already. So we're going to read, read and I'll, I'll try to do it as best I can. We're going to read Ephesians 1:15 through chapter 3. I know that sounds like a lot, and it is. I think I can do it in such a way that uh, we won't get bogged down. I'm not going to say anything. And then I want to look at at least um, Ephesians 2.10, just with a thought I want to throw out, which I, is me. So what you're going to hear this morning is primarily me. I've tried to research, uh, read uh, different uh, commentators and stuff, but you're going to get me anyway. All right, so verse 15 of chapter 1. Have we prayed? We haven't prayed yet. Let's pray. Father, I just ask your blessings. Um, need your help. We love you, Father. I, I have no doubt that every one of us here today love, love you. And our heart's desire is to be more conformed to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that you work in our hearts that, that uh, through your word this morning, and, and, and get me out of the way as much as I need to be, and, and use me as much as you can, but take the truth of your word and change us. I, I don't want to just come here and sit here, do our thing and do our duty and leave. We need to, we need to be changed. And, and I'm a long way off from being conformed to the image of Yeshua. And I pray, Father, that he'll make this a part of that process and everybody else. Uh, in Yeshua's name, we, we do ask for his glory. Amen. All right, 115. Wherefore? I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, 
and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, outside of Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope in, without, apart from God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. 
in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto us by uh, unto, uh, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, ecclesia, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, second prayer, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages world without end. Hey. Like Lester said, Paul loves his own preaching, ends it with an amen. <laughs> amen. All right, now, one thing before I forget, I think it's interesting, he, he winds this down, and I can never find it when I need it, but he talks about the household and the family. I, I think it's interesting, wherever that was, I, I can't, oh yeah, I'm sorry, 219, he says that ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, so it's a family structure. That family structure is supposed to be built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. And then on top of that, here's the unity. It's all a building fitly framed together. It's growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And, and so anyway, so there's this family, this family thing where, where, where we've been called, we've been chosen, however God does it. And now he's in the process of building this structure, which is you and me or I 
collectively, locally in assemblies, but collectively as the body of Yeshua, he's in the process of building this thing for the glory of God, and somehow what he's doing now is, is a testimony. If, if we can't convince others, here's at least one thing I want you to say. If we can't, and we can't, but if we can't convince others, and if we can't bring others, I don't want us to lose sight that God also has another aspect of what he's doing. There's this unseen realm, he talks about it, that we are being on display, and we will be for all eternity, to this angelic, this, this, these powers that are unseen, and we, that I just think, as messed up as we think we are, these angelic and this other unseen world is, is just shaking his head and marveling at what God has done. And if you can just bring it down to, like for me, I, they just have to be marveling at, at the creation. Oh, how do I say this? Each one of us are an individual creation of salvation in Christ. We are, according to verse 10, his workmanship, 2.10, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are, um, I've heard it said this way, and I'm going to jump off of this, but I've heard it said this way, uh, we are his masterpiece. We are his work of art. And I, and I like that. And, and probably the word for uh, workman is, is maybe better encapsulized in the word creation. We are his creation because Paul talks about being made new creatures, new creations in Christ. And the important thing he tells us is a, is a new creature or a new creation. So we are at the point of salvation, a new creation. And, you know, so we don't always impact those around us. You know, my mom and dad, all my family members. Yeah, that was great. You needed it in the drugs and you were a disaster. Sure, good thing for you. You needed it. Great. Oh, yes, we're wonderful. Can't even recognize you anymore. Great thing. Good for you. It didn't go anywhere beyond that. But Paul wants us to realize there's something greater going on here. And we have been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of being on display. And it's a mystery. And I want to get into this. All right. Now, as I said, Paul starts this section with a prayer and ends it with a prayer. Verse two of chapter uh, verse 10 of chapter two has to be plugged into the greater overall context of Ephesians. When we think of and it's always so hard for me because this is always new thoughts and I'm trying to bring you into new thoughts. So just hang with me here. When we think, if you thought at all, about Ephesians 2.10, it's usually this, this, this we, and there's nothing wrong with this, this kumbaya feeling, where, oh, look, at, I'm his handiwork. Look what he's done in me through Christ, and, and I'm a, a living demonstration. And, and, and we feel good about the fact that we are his workmanship. Not only did he create us, but he saved us. And we're his workmanship, we're his work of art, we're a masterpiece. And, the, and those, those are good words, they're not mine, I've read them in other commentaries. We are his masterpiece. You know, I have uh, works of art by uh, uh, Norman Rockwell from the old, old covers that he used to do. And the, the, they're, to me, they're masterpieces. I don't know, you younger guys don't know who Norman Rockwell is, perhaps. But just he could paint stuff in such a way. We went to his, his museum, Judy and I, years and years ago. And with all these uh, uh, paintings that he did for the, the, the what, what was the magazine? Saturday Evening Post and some others. 
But in this one room was this humongous, humongous, um, I thought it was a picture. And, and it was this painting that he did from looking through the door against the wall of, of, a, of a lineman, the telephone lineman up there. And the thing was monstrous. And I said, as soon as I walked in, I said, what is that humongous photo doing in here amongst all these other paintings? It was so lifelike. His, 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 he was such a master painter. It was so lifelike that you couldn't tell the difference. It was that real. You would have thought that was a guy on the wall working. Well, that's us. God in Christ has created each one of us as a masterpiece. We might not feel like it. We might not think we look like it. But the angelic hosts that don't really understand what God's doing, look at this that he's doing and what he's building and what he's fitting together and this mystery that's been unknown, Paul says, to this degree until his time, we're a masterpiece. Now, I love that, but I don't think that's the main message of that verse. I, I just don't. And I've never heard it preached how I'm going to say it, so I'm just telling you, you're getting me. Although I think it's, it's, it's safe to say from at least some notes that I've read. What I think is the greater picture is this. We are his workmanship, but in what way? Individually? Yes, everything I just said. But it needs to be considered in the light of the context specifically of chapter 2, verse 11 through 3, 6. So I'm going to read this just because it'll be shorter if I do this way. So we are his workmanship. First of all, we have to figure out what is the mystery, Paul says, about what is that mystery? And why is it even a mystery? Well, for us Christians coming into Christianity that just basically park in the New Testament and we're ignorant of that other part of the book, because of our ignorance, we can only look at some of this stuff from this Christian perspective, in, which is, Basically, oh, look, at, we're wonderful in, in Jesus and we're his masterpiece. But it's more than that. In the immediate context of these verses and in the greater context of the whole book of Ephesians, God's specified ultimate work, creation, is the uniting of Jew and Gentile together as one in Messiah. That is what Paul is talking about. In verse 10, and if you plug it into the context, it's the mystery that has been kept a mystery from the foundation of the world that God was going to bring together as one Jew and Gentile. And they are going to live harmoniously, though they were at odds and coming from two different worlds, we'll say, but he's going to do this miraculous thing, which to us, I don't know if we're as blown away by, blown away by as the heavenly host and the powers and all that. They're mad about this. There's this thing going on in the unseen world, just like with Job. He did not know what was going on, but Satan was up there and there was all this stuff going on. And then with the book of Daniel and, and, and the wrestling and, and all this stuff, 
we don't understand the significance of what God is doing in bringing us, one, to faith in Yeshua, number two, that he is bringing together ancient fulfilled prophecy right now through us, and it goes back to Jeremiah 31, 31, and Ezekiel 37, 15 through 28. Major, major, major prophecies. So when Jesus says, this is the new covenant or the New Testament in my blood, he's not just saying, oh, look, you have a nice little communion service that you can have. And every time you sip your little cup and you have the piece of thing, think about me. He is saying, my blood is the, the, the significant factor that is going to bring together Judah and Israel and uh, Israel and Judah and, and the uniting of Judah and Ephraim into the one stick. Right? That's, that's the marvel of this thing. So Jesus isn't just giving us this new, okay guys, here's this new thing you do, all that's done away with, I'm giving you this neat little fancy meal thing you need to do and you just remember me. He, it is so important, he dies for it, and, and we, we, don't even, we don't even know really the significance. He's saying, this is, I am, my death, the fulfillment, the shed blood, is to bring together the fulfillment of these ancient prophecies. You guys are part of it, and it's a demonstration to the world, so go out and change the world with this message. But also remember, there's these angelic hosts and these princes of powers and, and everything, and there's this battle going on. That's why Paul ends Ephesians with taking up the whole armor of God. We, we've become so horizontal. We've become so kumbaya in our church and our lattes, and we can get this here and have this and take it into church, and, oh, it's all about me, entertain me. We, we've gotten so focused on that crap, forgive me, that we don't even know we're in a battle. And you know why? They're sitting up there, the host is saying, man, we don't even need to mess with those guys. They're already a disaster. <laughs> put them in a battle? Why bother? You know, I can put my resources someplace else. And I'm not just yelling at the Christian churches. I'm not just yelling at the Messianic guys. I'm yelling at me too. Because we are so inept at understanding where Paul's coming from, we're missing a ton. We're missing a ton. I read this and I thought, oh, this is just my, because there's so many we's and ye's throughout this. We, ye, ye, you, Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile, all of a sudden they're going to be brought together into this one thing, and in God's economy, this is huge, even though you idiots don't get it, us. It's just huge, and I, I just was basking in this fact of, I am a part of this greater scheme of things where God is fulfilling prophecy through uh, the death of Yeshua and, and bringing me, this Gentile, into this, this, this living tree. I'm, I've been grafted in, Jew and Gentile. Now, part of the reason this is no big deal is because we're just blowing it all over the place. How many Jews and Gentiles do you see just hobnobbing together? In our churches. We have our token Jew and we're happy. You know, because we're Christian and they're still Jews and we're not sure what to think about them anyway. And if they're saved, well, they got to be messed up. And then, then you throw us in the mix and they're all confused. But 
And so, but Paul is dealing with this in the early church, this amalgam of Jew and Gentile, and it's, it's causing problems. There's, there's, you know, she is from Venus and he's from Jupiter or whatever the book is, Mars and Venus or whatever it is. You get what I'm saying? The, 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 the Gentiles are from that planet, the Jews are from that planet, and oh yeah, they're both saved, but man, they're never going to meet in the middle. And Paul is dealing with this stuff. This influx. And so in the midst of this, he's wanting these guys to say, hey, he's saying, hey, calm down, everybody. Forget about the factions and the fractions and and you're for this and you're for that. We have to unite on something here. That we are one. And because he goes on, one, 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 when you hit chapter five, one, 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 one body, one faith, one blood, whatever, all the ones in there. There's this one thing together. And, 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 and we don't see the marvel of it because we don't really have many Jews. We, we, you know, now it's kind of in vogue to have our token Passover service and you know, our token Jewish guy come in. and lead. We did that in our church, what, two, three years. We had our token Jewish guy come in and who knew the Lord, obviously, but, you know, and, oh, don't we feel good? We just had the Passover and just merely go on our way and don't really know what we did. So we, we, verse 10, we is Jew and Gentile as one are his masterpiece, work of art, his new creation and it's a big deal to god this is a big deal to god and it needs to be a big deal to us now i don't know how long i've gone i never know how long i've gone i'm going to leave that there you can chew on that let's i want to look at maybe three more verses uh verse 14 and it's going to get more probably controversial as we go along um if that's the right word let me get there All right, so verse 14, this is one of those verses. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Uh, There's there's a a Messianic Bible, for lack of a better word. It's called the Exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-E-S Bible. It was done by Herb, H-E-R-B, John, J-A-H-N, I think it was, probably somewhere in the 70s. And I, I found that years ago, and I bought, I bought a ton of them, you know. And now, like the book, you know, they're, they're going for over 100 bucks. I mean, they're, they're expensive. Anyway, he was one of the first early Messianic guys to do a Messianic translation from the Hebraic perspective. I like it. I think it's good. Um, I, I use the King James. But anyway, this is how he translates this, and you might have already heard this, uh, this verse 14. Um, I didn't write down the whole thing, but he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down. uh, Let's see. Oh, it's verse 15. I was messing myself up. Anyway, hath broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. uh, Here it is. The Torah of mitzvot in dogmas. So I like that. The Torah, the law, of mitzvot, commandments, in ordinances, uh, dogma. So it's the Torah of mitzvot and dogma. 
dogma. What, what in the world does that mean? And so when you get thinking about this middle wall of partition, and then you have thrown in on top of that this, this Torah of mitzvot contained in dogma for to make in himself of two one new man, uh, so making peace. And let's see. Yeah, so that's 14.15. So, so what in the world is he talking about? What is this wall of partition? What is this Torah of mitzvot and ordinances? What's this talking about? What is this? You know... The common thing is when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was split and, and he, he, he broke that middle wall partition and, and maybe has something to do with the temple and the wall of the Gentiles and all that. Now Gentiles and he did all this. You know, I, I'm not so sure if, if that's necessarily where we need to go with that. So what does all this mean? So could the, could the Torah of, of mitzvah and dogma be referring to, and, and sometimes we, our people, like to explain it as, well, that's the oral Torah. The, the, the Jews had so messed up the Torah, they came up with an oral Torah, and, so, and, and because they had their own way of doing things, it was alienating Jew and Gentile, and because the Jews had made their own oral Torah and had gone outside the Torah and were doing their own thing, it created this animosity. And, and so could it be referring to the, uh, the uh, oral Torah and the animosity that it caused between Jew and Gentile? Or could it be the animosity that, that existed because both misunderstood the purpose of the Torah? Could this animosity, could this wall of partition be nothing to do with the court of the Gentiles, nothing to do perhaps with the oral Torah, and maybe it had all to do with all that, but could it also be, I want to throw into the mix, could it also be that both Jews and Gentiles misunderstood and misrepresented the purpose of the law in general altogether. The law was not to save. The law didn't take away sin. The law wasn't, the Jew wasn't supposed to say, well, we observed the, the Torah and you Gentiles are unclean. And it's not supposed to be, oh, the Gentiles say, well, we don't even have that thing. And, and, and you use that and we, that doesn't make any sense to us. And so there was this misrepresentation. And it almost became that the Jews viewed themselves as the ones that were included. And the Gentiles were the ones that were outed, that were excluded. And, and I wonder if what has happened is, Tim Haig, I had a discussion with Tim Haig, if any of you know who he is, when he wrote, the, wrote that Jesus came, Yeshua came to, to uh, what did he do? Oh, to uh, uh, um, Judaism, to fix Judaism. And I said, I, I wrote him back, I said, Tim, you have to, you, I have to believe you didn't think Jesus came to, to restore Judaism. He said, well, he came to, to just kind of straighten it out. And I said, no, he came to restore Torah. Jesus came to restore Torah. We had three conversations back and forth. Finally, he whittled it down more to where, well, I forget what he said. And I said, Tim, Jesus did not come to restore Judaism in any form, shape. He came to restore Torah because the Torah was so abused, it was a mess. And so he, the Torah made flesh, came to earth 
to live out in his life and in his teaching the restoration of how they had segmented, seg, uh, segmented and mutilated him. <laughs> this is so good. And so the Jews took the Torah, him made flesh, created this other version over here that didn't look anything like it. And he told them so, and they hated him so much for it, it killed him. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they're looking at this whole scenario and saying, what the heck is going on with you guys? We don't even know who he is or believe in him and, 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 and this Torah stuff. And so he comes, Yeshua comes, can I say it this way, to fix himself in the midst of all the abuse. And, and out of all this misunderstanding of the Torah, him, he comes and Paul is trying to tell us what he did was to come to make one stick, one new man, one creation. There's one body. There's not Jew. There's not Gentile. There's not a Torah for the Gentiles. And there's not a Torah for the Jews. There's not the Noahic laws, rules over here for you schmucky Jews, uh, Gentiles. And sorry, we love you, but you're kind of still second class. We're, we're doing this now. We're still doing this now. Do you understand how pertinent this is? It is because we don't understand the mystery of the oneness that he has created between Jew and Gentile. So in the Christian church, it's not even an issue. In the Messianic, it's an issue. Because now we have the Jew Messianics and now we have the Gentile Messianics and the Gentiles, they don't have to observe it. They can if they want to. But those Jewish Messianics, yes, it's for us. And we've created a middle wall of partition all over again. And you know why? Because we don't understand we are his workmanship. Who is the we? We're screwing it up all over again. We, especially the Messianic movement, is in so much trouble because we have segmented and parsed out Jesus so that we, we can uh, uh, peddle him how we peddle him in our own individual ways, all in the name of Yeshua. And it's happening all over again, folks. So th there's a note in my Bible here and I'm going to read it uh, because it's, it's uh, and to me, this is my miracle Bible. I won't go into the story, but it, it, it's, it's a new, it's a King James study Bible. It was originally put out by Liberty Uni University, Jerry Falwell's organization. And so these are good guys. It has Dallas Theological Seminary guys and all these other good evangelical guys. So I'm not trashing this. I actually really like this, but the notes are so revealing. But if you can weed through the midst of the notes, they'll say stuff that is good. And they say something good here. So about verses 14 and 15. I'm just going to read it. And, and, you know, it's anyway, let me just read it. So 2, 14, 15. Who hath made both one? Jesus has formed. And this is this is good. They, I think they get this. Well, obviously, because I just said it. Jesus has formed the two antagonistic groups of Jew and Gentile into a single new party. Now, I, I hate how they say this, the Christian church. And, and that's a part of our problem. We think he's created this new church. 
you know, this new church thing. It's not new. It's an ecclesia. It's God's people. It's his body. It's, it's, he's only ever had one people, one body. We didn't create something new at Pentecost. And so, but they got the antagonist part right. He, um, Jesus had formed the two antagonistic groups of Jew and Gentile into, I'm going to call it, the one body of Messiah. He did this by removing the middle wall of partition. That is the Mosaic law. See, that's where it always goes off. And, and if you didn't grow up in a Christian church and preach it like I did, what was the middle wall partition? That, that mosaic law, the law. Those Jews are so stinking bad, God had to give them this horrible thing to keep them in line. But praise God, we don't need that because in Jesus, we don't need that. We're not like them. And that's kind of how we, we come along, right? I mean, it is how we come along. So anyway, he removed the middle ground of partition, well, the mosaic law. The law was meant to protect Jews from pagan corruptions, but by, and this is good, I think, but by misconstruing the purpose of the law, the Jews felt superior to Gentiles who were incensed at this arrogance. So the Jews felt superior than the Gentiles. The Gentiles were incensed at the arrogance of the Jews. And, and this is right. I think they're onto something here. So Jesus abolished this enmity, hatred, caused, but, and this is good, all right? This is good. So Jesus abolished this enmity, hatred, caused by an abuse of the law. That's good. This next part's not. But I don't want to admit it. He abolished the enmity. What was the enmity? It was the abuse of the law. Well, how did Jesus fix this? Fix this? By making the law invalid for his church. <laughs> now, for somebody like me who, who got saved and bread and buttered in an independent fundamental Baptist church, went off to the, the biggest independent fundamental Baptist university, was ordained an independent fundamental Baptist minister pretty much right out of college, had my own independent fundamental Baptist church, um, you know, now, been in this 10 years, right? Been saved 42 years, I think, now. You know, that was what I believed, more or less. But I was, can, can you sense the confusion in that? To me, he came, he, he, he got rid of the abuse of the law. Well, how did he do it? Well, there's the confusing part. Throughout the, gee, the Torah threw himself out. The Torah threw himself out. Or if, if not completely, don't need this arm. These two fingers don't need those. Oh, I didn't need this extra ear. These toes, what are they doing here? He just started whacking off bits and pieces of them. So where we, we conveniently put it into morally, more, the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the judicial law? I, I don't know what. And something else. We, we parsed the law off into these three neat little segments, right? Well, all we need to worry about is, what's that, what? It's just one law. Yes, thank you very much. And so Jesus didn't come to do away with himself. He came to fix what everybody has screwed up. Yes. And don't you think we messianics should be just scared out of the bejesus in us about what we're doing all over again. Oh, I'm ashamed of us. All right, so 
I hope, does that make sense? So anyway, all right, now, uh, I, I think I want, okay, so this is, re, this is just me, totally me, brand new, off the wall, just, just go with me on this, all right? Just enjoy this if you can and snicker if you want. Now, just, I, I now finish with this. I just, so I know this is scattered and I'm just hitting segments here and there. All right, um, verse 16 of chapter two. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. I mean, it tells you really, verse 16 is in a sense explained in verse 10, the workmanship, who's the we? It's, we are the we, it's a, we're verse 16. The we is he made one body out of two by the cross. And he got rid of that abuse of the Torah understanding by coming himself to hit the reset button. So, this is, this is just bizarre. This will let you know, you know, after you hear this, you, you'll be amazed that I have anything coherent to say that might even rationally make sense that you should listen to. But I had fun with this. All right, so we have, so in my blog I said what I try to do, and again I've learned this from George Mueller, is when I'm reading to just try to pause every once in a while over a word, over a thought, to meditate on stuff like my blog, but now, if anybody happens to read it. You know, I just, uh, but now just it really hit me and, 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 and to just stop and think. So what, what I tried to do, and it happened in verse 16, this is how my mind works, and that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body by the cross. Now, this is not exactly what it's saying here, but it made me think of Yeshua's one body on the cross because he's, he's, uh, reconciling both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body, into one body. But I got to think, it, is it through also that one body of his offering by the cross? Why does the cross fit into this? How does the cross fit into it? Now, I know he died there and his blood was shed there. But, but he, 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 so he made this one body by the cross. All right, here's where I go crazy. You have one body by the cross. One body on the cross. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Wouldn't it be interesting, so, so the one body on the cross is where I'm going with this. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be interesting if, capital I-F, I'm going to say it, please forgive me, you might want to edit it. Wouldn't it be interesting if a Jew and a Gentile were on either side of Yeshua on the cross? Wouldn't that be interesting? I think I have a little bit of proof to say that might be the case. And if not, I got a little bit more to say, I think him on that, oh gosh, I get so excited, I'm going to cry myself. Because what he did on that cross, I think was a living demonstration of what he wanted to create in this one new man by the cross. Wouldn't it be interesting if on one side was a Jew and on the other side of a Gentile and they are made, in a sense, in that setting, one. We know one goes to heaven and the other one doesn't. That's interesting to think about too. Um, so just turn to Luke 23, would you? 
and we'll finish with this. And again, this is just all throw it out if you want. But you know what? I want you to start thinking on your own. I want you to be able to meditate on the scriptures yourself and be willing to go to where no man has ever gone before in your thoughts and in your study with God and his word. Don't be afraid. Think outside your box. Come to, and I'm not saying looking for new stuff. And hopefully this is, I'm not saying that. Don't look for new revelation, new wisdom, something new you can share. This is not why I'm sharing this, and this is not going to sell anyway. But don't be looking for something novel. Try to find what's already there. Try to find what's already there. So to do that, you have to do what George Mueller did. For, he did it for, I forget, 15 years when he wrote about it. He would meditate his way daily through the New Testament, word by word, phrase by phrase. He would stop. He would pray over it. He would think. Ponder that. He did it for 15 years. And then he wrote about it after 15 years of doing it, saying it's a single one most thing he did that changed his life more than anything was to meditate on the Scriptures word by word, phrase by phrase. Great man of God, we'll never outdo his ministry. Christian that he is, we'll never be able to. Do you guys know who George Mueller is? Anybody know? Nobody knows who George Mueller is anymore. Anyway. All right, so Luke uh, 23, verse 394. He's from a long time ago in England, had orphanages back in the 1800s. Did a marvelous work for God. Uh, Luke 23, got to get there. Verse uh, 39 and 40, I got to get myself there. All right, so... All right, so, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Ooh, that's interesting, too. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we justly, for we receive our due reward, and it goes on from there. So 39, um, us. And one of the malefactors were hang, uh, which were hanged uh, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Now, I think it, it's immediately referring to the two on the cross. But it also got me wondering if possibly, maybe, um, it's, 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 you're supposed to be that guy that's going to deliver the nation? Show me. Where is it? Hasn't happened yet. I mean, that was the accusation on the cross the king of the Jews. And they said, don't say he's the king of the Jews. Say he said he's the king of the Jews. They expected a national deliverer, not necessarily a spiritual deliverer. They were expecting a national deliverer. And, and this guy's saying, hey, if you're really who you are, because right above him, a superscription also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. And one of these guys said, hey, if that's you, save us, king, O king. Maybe a little bit of the Jewish aspect. But verse 30, uh, verse uh, 40, um, uh, but, the other, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? And it got me thinking about this, the, you know, we call the Gentiles were God-fearers. Some of these, they were God-fearers that were coming into this. Perhaps he's a God-fearer, a Gentile. If that doesn't work, and we're not going to turn to it, but uh, Mark 15, you have the centurion, who's a Gentile, his response, looking on all this, he says, truly, this was the Son of God. So you have a Jew, perhaps, on the cross, 
going to be with Yeshua in paradise. That other guy, he could be the Gentile that doesn't respond, but you also do have this centurion who does respond. So you have this one who's going to be with Jesus in paradise. If that guy on the cross on the other side doesn't play into the picture at all, you have a centurion, a Gentile. And you have Yeshua in the middle of that happening, creating for us perhaps that living demonstration of the one new man that he's creating that Paul is talking about all throughout the book of Ephesians, creating one in Yeshua. So that, that's the end of my craziness with that. So what I want us to see and try to see, and if you plug it back in, that's why I wanted to read Ephesians, because Paul enumerates these principalities and powers, and we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And then he goes on and talks about the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare, to realize that somehow our little infinitesimal life, as Yeshua is building his ecclesia and is fitly joined together into this body, this temple, this is a work of art that he is creating, and we are a part of that. You look at a painting, all aspects go into making the whole. That guy on the telephone pole was amazing, but he's on a pole, which is a dead piece of wood, and there's a sky, and there's clouds, and there's ground. You put the guy in a pole all by himself and nothing surrounding it, oh, that's cool. But it all goes together to make a masterpiece. So Paul says, you know, we're not all going to be an eyeball. We're not all going to be the tongue. We might have to be, some of you smucks are the toenails, sorry. Some of you are these other unseemly parts that we don't even want to talk about. But it all goes together. And somehow the angelic host marvels at it all. And I want us to realize what we are to God. Oh, I, if I can find that note. I don't think I can. I screwed up. I should have. No, I can't. Anyways, another passage. We're a work of art. We are a marvel to behold. And, and it's caused me to just thank my God and my Savior all over again for the salvation that I have. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't grow up in a Christian church, nothing. And so when I was translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, it was like, wow, what in the world just happened here? But over the years, you get, it all gets muddy. You, you get into church life, and everybody hates one another, and they're mad. And church I get into, they're in the process of trying to kick out the pastor, and the assistant pastor leaves. And then I go to Bible college, and you're told about how everybody's wrong, 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 wrong. Then you, you think, oh, I'm going to have my own church, and we're just going to love one another. And, and it's all over again. And then, if that isn't bad enough, you read the... Paul and his writings and he's battling with this crap and to this day 2,000 years and then God reaches out miraculously and brings us into the messianic movement and we felt so good and it was great and we have a home and we belong and it was a mess all over again and it just has to break God's heart so Paul is trying to get them to see individually and collectively guys this is bigger than yourselves Get off of yourselves, get together, you're a unit, lay aside all this pettiness, 
at least come together and agree and have fellowship. Don't forget, the angels are in attendance. They see this stuff. They're watching, he tells us in Corinthians. There's something bigger going on here than your own puny, pathetic thing you are so intense about. There's a battle. There's a warfare. And you have to get engaged. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you for your word. Um, you know, I usually apologize for how long I am and how crazy I am, but I don't feel like it today. I really don't. As far as I know, this could be the last time I ever preach. And so, I, I, I um, no apologies. I thank you, Father, for what I am in Yeshua. I thank you so much for his shed blood. And I thank you that it's, it's bigger than we can comprehend. And so Paul wraps it all up in the one word, mystery. But Paul, who was caught up to the third heaven and saw so much and heard so much and learned so much, is trying to get it down here to us schmucks to get off of ourselves, stop focusing on ourselves, realize there's a bigger thing going on here. And this isn't just earthly, it's, it's, it's celestial as well. And I, I'm sorry, Father, that I get so bogged down and muddled in all the mess. And it's been so refreshing for me to have the marvel of, of who and what I am to you and Yeshua. You know? And then those of us that sit here, we're, we're part of that um, canopy, that, that work, that masterpiece. Father, help us to just kind of grow up a little bit, I guess. Get our eyes off of everything else and on to Jesus. Help us to be looking unto him, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of you. And Paul tells us we're already seated there in the heavenly places in Christ. Why are we so earthly focused? Why are we so self-centered and selfish? I know it's the equation of our humanity, but I think Satan plays into our weaknesses, and we're just so easily duped by his wiles and his schemes. And we get fixated on stuff that we think is so stinking important, and it's just a distraction. We don't know our word, we don't know scriptures, but yet we talk about how we just love Yeshua, but yet we never pick him up and Read him, talk to him, focus on him, fellowship with him. So just work, Father, in Yeshua's name, amen. Hey.